Well, morning, everyone. It's good to uh, be here and uh, lead you in God's Word this morning. Well, one of the hardest questions I think I've ever been asked, and of course it was at a funeral, was how can a loving God allow people to suffer? And it seems that it doesn't matter if you trust Jesus or not. We all experience our fair share of suffering, don't we? But especially if people are serving and loving Jesus, how can bad things happen to them? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. In the church I grew up in, we used to have a missionary, and her name was Minka Hanskamp. Uh, Her father was a pastor in our churches, and she, well, my connection with her, my parents tell me, is that when I was little, she babysat me. And um, it wasn't actually much longer after that. She was serving in Thailand as a nurse, and she and another missionary woman were uh, taken from their missionary compound by a group of Muslim extremists, and they were executed. And that really hits me. What's the point of being a Christian, and does it actually make a difference? Well, you've joined us today in the last of our mini-series, as Ryan said, looking at how we endure in life and in faith. And today I want to see something that is quite profound. The fact that we suffer shows us that God loves us. And more than that, it's used by God to make us sure Uh, to make sure that we endure. Let me put it another way. Suffering as a Christian isn't a reason to give up, but it's an encouragement to continue. So let's pray that God will help us to understand his word and that we can see what it is to endure in the faith. Let's let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your love uh, to us and that we can know your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through your word. Uh, We thank you that we can know that uh, you have paid for all of our sins on the cross and that as we look to you, you will guide us and you will be with us. We pray that as we uh, hear your word this morning that you will speak to us through it uh, and that your spirit will be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the letter of Hebrews, it's written to a people who are struggling with this exact question. Is following Jesus worth it? Now, they were Old Testament Jewish believers who had heard the good news of Jesus as the Messiah. They'd converted to Christianity and they'd been living faithful Christian lives. But now they're facing some serious trials and persecution. And that was probably due to the the Roman Emperor Nero. And uh, he liked to impale Christians on stakes and set fire to them so that he could light up his outdoor parties. The temptation for some of these Christians was to go back and avoid persecution by returning to the temple because the Jewish religion was more tolerated by the Romans. So we can understand uh, these Jewish Christians' temptation. They used to do that. Um, It's still the same God at the temple. But by doing so, they would essentially deny Christianity. And so that's why his first point of encouragement to keep going is that they are not alone. We can see that in verse 1. It says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses 
surrounding us. Well, the therefore at the start of the verse refers to the long list in chapter 11 of all the faithful who have gone before them and finished their race. Look at some of the suffering that they endured. I've just got a couple of verses from chapter 11, verses 35 to 37. It says, Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. All of these great heroes of the faith remind them of Jesus, and they are with them. And that's still true for us today. The same witnesses are are still with the Lord, looking, and they're watching us. And that cloud is even larger now. It's filled with all the faithful Christians from the last 2,000 years. We can't see them. We can't hear them. But they're there. They're cheering us on. And their example is cheering us on. Uh, They're saying to us, it is worth it. Keep trusting. Keep serving. Keep running. And so... Verse 1 continues, it says, Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. In the Christian life, sin, our putting ourselves at the center of our lives, our living life my way, uh, the writer tells us, actually ensnare us. They trip us up and almost capture us in our own rebellion. We know, I think as Christians, we know that we've failed God's will and desires. We've felt the pain of sin. We've repented many times. And just when maybe we feel that we're making some progress, just starting to run and not crawl, so often these sins can come back and trip us up. And it frustrates us that despite all the tears and the prayers and the confessions and the desire to please God and to be faithful, so easily we are ensnared again. I think we get the ensnaring nature of sin. But sometimes what we miss is the first part. See, all the weights, all the things that hinder and hold you back. Verse 1 says, let us lay aside every hindrance. Because even good things can entangle us. We've heard recently from our series in 1 Timothy that um, all about money. And money's not bad, but could it be holding you back? And then we've got all these other things, phones and TVs and computers and Cars and houses and boyfriends and girlfriends and food and clothes and the list goes on and on. And these are all not bad things. But look at your own life. Could these things be hindering your race? What are the nice things that you've picked up along the way uh, that could be slowing down your dependence on God? Or when you, when you don't have them, could they be tempting you to blame him and to complain? 
We need to cast them off so they don't trip us up. In a race, any sane person would recognize that if something was weighing them down, they would get rid of it. You'd cast it off, anything that holds you back. Now, sports people are into the lightest equipment, aren't they? They're into the lightest shoes, the lightest jackets. A friend of ours, he recently hiked, he spent at least nine weeks on the Appalachian Trail in America. And his, the base weight of his pack, I'm sure, was only six kgs, which is really light. I'm, I'm pretty sure his tent must have been made out of glad wrap. <laughs> and, and get this, nine weeks, he only had one pair of underwear. That's light. <laughs> uh, I was on a recent hike, and I, I got to the last night, and I still had one of those massive packs of M&Ms. You know the really nice uh, M&Ms, the chocolate ones with the nuts in them? Um, I was nearly at the end, and I gave them away. I thought, there's no way I'm lugging that big packet up the hills through the, the wet, muddy bush uh, for a whole day. When, when the end was in sight... I, th I think they must have weighed at least 400 grams. <laughs> you see, I just, I just wanted to get there. You just want to get to the end. So you, you shed stuff, you cast stuff off, you, you lay aside anything that will trip you up or slow you down. And the Christian life is like a race. We need to keep on running. We, we've got to not give up. Up the hills and down through the valleys... Shedding the things that weigh us down, casting them off, casting off the sin that so easily ensnares so that we might persevere. He says in verse 1, uh, he continues, run with endurance the race that lies before us. Well, that means looking back to the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. It means looking around at the things that hinder us and it also means looking forward to the work that Jesus is doing in us. Imagine you're lost in a really dark cave system. You're underground, you're surrounded by rising water. It's, it's cold, it's confined. And you've been there for several days and you're pretty sure you're going to die down there. And then suddenly in the water you see a glow and up pops a diver. And he's got a mask for you and some oxygen, and he leads you down through the water and back out uh, into the tunnels and through all the dark, windy, narrow passages and caves until eventually you get to the end and you see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he says to you, just go that way. But instead, you turn around and you head back into the tunnel. Well, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? Jesus is the light. And the writer of the Hebrews says, we are not alone, so we need to keep our eyes on him. Verse 2 says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus has gone before us. He is our light. He's... Uh, the word pioneer can mean leader, and he shows us the way. But it also means the beginning. He's the beginning of our faith, and he's the end of our faith. 
He who begun it will bring it to its finish perfectly. And as we run our Christian race, when those trials and those persecutions loom before us, it's such a joy to keep our eyes on Jesus. Verse, verse 3 tells us to consider him. You know, in a hike or in a race, you often uh, focus on the person ahead of you. They show you the way, and obviously you don't want to let them get too far ahead of you. Uh, you don't want to let them out of your sight. Well, Jesus is not only ahead of us, he is the finishing line. He is the goal. Jesus has already run the race, and he's won. So keep your eyes on him. Don't lose sight of him. Don't, don't look away. But it's hard, isn't it, to keep going? Uh, so often I, I feel like giving up. But again, we're pointed back to Jesus. Consider what Jesus sacrificed. Consider what Jesus endured for us. He was once with God, but he came to earth. He was born in a, a stinky barn and laid in an animal's feeding trough. He put on human flesh and experienced suffering. Verse 3 tells us to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. God the Son, who had been with the Father for all eternity, was rejected. He was mocked. He was spit upon and hated and falsely accused. He was beaten and whipped by the very ones that he came to save. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. And he himself was without sin, and yet they sent him to the cross. His blood was shed. Jesus endured the cross for us. But we also know that he endured so much more than that. Something greater was going on. All of God's wrath and anger at our sin was poured out on him. Jesus took the full weight of God's anger and punishment for our sin on himself. Well, why would he do that? Why would he despise that shame and keep going on with his plan? <clears throat> he did it for the joy that lay before him. And that joy is not just the glory of returning to heaven to be with the Father again, but to fulfill God's plan to save us. For the joy of making us, us, sinners, enemies of God, dead in our sins, into his brothers and sisters, so that he could make us perfect in the Father's eyes through what he suffered. You see, three days later, Jesus, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He has received the highest honor from the Father, at the start of Hebrews, Jesus is introduced this way in the first, uh, on the, in verses two and three. It says, "In the last, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, and God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand." 
of the majesty in high. <clears throat> well, in Jesus, we have the greatest prize. And the last two verses of chapter 11 say of the great heroes of faith, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. We have the better promise. Consider him so you don't grow weary or give up. <clears throat> but I guess that doesn't answer the question that we started with, does it? Why do we who, who trust in Jesus still experience suffering? Wouldn't it be better for our endurance if maybe if God took away all of our suffering uh, here and now? Well, what we see is that suffering is actually for our good. Yeah, so suffering is actually for our good. And that's our second point, that God's discipline shows us his love. In verses 5 and 6, we've got this extended quote from Proverbs 3. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he punishes every son he receives. The writer is reminding us that the Lord's discipline means God's love. Discipline can mean suffering, <clears throat> but discipline also means sonship. It means that you are his child. I was a bit nervous about saying this, but the word, uh, the word punishes in verse 6. It actually means to scourge or to flog. And in the ancient times, they would actually flog their children. So I think, uh, kids, if your parents, you know, next time they take your phone away from you for an hour or so, just, just remember that. Um, I, yeah, I grew up in a time when corporal punishment was still legal, and I can still remember uh, vividly hearing the sound of the cane swishing through the corridors of our school and into our classroom. Um, I can also vividly remember 1989, because that was the year that they stopped the cane. That was the last year of the cane. I was in year 12, and I made it. <laughs> well, the Hebrews knew their Old Testament, and they knew other proverbs that talk about sparing the rod and spoiling the child. And, and they knew about the pointing of discipline, obviously. Uh, but we need to remember that the purpose of discipline is to teach. It's to grow, and it's to love. In verse 7, he says, For what son is there that a father does not discipline? What, what sort of father would I be if I saw my child running onto a busy road in heavy traffic and didn't tell them to stop? If I didn't use my hands to hold them back? In my, my mind, it, it just always seems to equate discipline with punishment. But it's important to realize that most discipline is not corporal, it's training. It's discipline. Train, all training is discipline. <clears throat> uh, it's things like removing things from your kids. It's, it's giving them time out. It's making them eat their vegetables and no phone and early to bed and putting on their car seat, um, uh, their seatbelt in the car seat. And discipline is training. We train our kids to eat and to sleep and to put warm clothes on when it's cold outside. I uh, think of sport. All the training that goes on there, the army, apprenticeships, 
um, school. It's all training. Your boss gives you jobs, and they may, may seem really boring and repetitive and hard, but the boss knows the big picture. There's a purpose behind what you're doing. And we are Christ's disciples. <clears throat> Discipline is not automatically punishment. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with us as sons. He's dealing with us as his children. Verse 9 says, Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? If we respect our own parents for disciplining us, and that's assuming that it was done in a, in a godly and a well-intended way, and it, and it wasn't abusive, well, then obviously the suffering we face as discipline from our Heavenly Father must be worth so much more. <clears throat> our parents' discipline, it's only got a short time frame to it, but God's discipline has eternal benefit. <clears throat> Verse 10 shows us two reasons for discipline. It's for our benefit, and it's so that we can share in His holiness. God's discipline will help us become more like Him and ultimately lead us to our internal inheritance. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse <clears throat> pardon me. Verse 11 summarizes this whole focus by pointing out that no discipline seems enjoyable at the time but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The fact that we suffer shows us that God loves us. And more than that, it's used by God to make sure that we endure. We all understand natural consequences for our actions, don't we? I mean, if I drive too fast, I could get a speeding ticket. If I act silly, I, I could have an accident. And I don't think any of us have got a, a problem with that idea. But there will be tough times. I remember my mum. She believed and trusted in the Lord her whole life. And she lay in a, in a hospital bed dying from cancer. Was she being punished for her sin? It's not punishment. I still remember her shoes uh, beside the bed. And she said, take those away. <clears throat> I'm not going to need those anymore. And her cell phone with the messages that she would uh, never answer again. You see, it's a shedding. It's a casting off of all the earthly things. And it revealed uh, the true, beautiful faith that lay within eyes that kept focus on Jesus to the end. And when people in our own congregations suffer, when they experience suffering... Is God unable? Is it, is it punishment? Is he absent? Is he out of control? No, he's training. He's training them. He's testing them. And he's testing us too. He's preparing us through the suffering of others. He's teaching us. He's giving us wisdom so that we can help others. And he's focusing our eyes on Jesus. Although it may not be pleasant at the time. Christians, your suffering, it's not a punishment for sin. 
Now, I know there are some of you here who are tempted to think that God must be punishing me yet. I want you to rethink your understanding of your God and your Savior. He loves you. He shed his blood for you. He has and he always will forgive you. And he's with you. In Hebrews 10, 12, we're told that this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat at the right hand of God. Jesus is the for all time one sacrifice for sins. He has taken all of your punishment. And yes, there, there is sin. There's the evil thoughts, the evil actions, the evil looks and the, the stares, the lustful uh, thoughts, the anger, the hatred. There's the rage and the greediness and the lack of praying and the lack of self-control. But our sins are nailed to the cross. There's not one sin that you have done and there's not one sin that you will ever do that he hasn't fully paid for. You know, I can't, I can't look at you and we can't look at other Christians and look at them and their suffering and judge them and say, God must be punishing them because if I did that, would show that I don't understand the gospel. Do you suffer with temptations, with weakening faith, with compromising your belief in the tough times? Keep your eyes on Jesus and consider him. In um, verse 18 of chapter 2 in Hebrews, it says, For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. You see, Jesus has been there himself. When you're suffering, you are not alone. One verse I always find really encouraging in, in times like this is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where he says, but, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And therefore, I most gladly will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. God shows his power through weakness, through our weaknesses. What's your trial? What's your struggle? What, what weakness do you have that God is using to show his power through you? Think of Jesus, our mighty king, humbled and hung on a cross. And yet God uses that weakness to bring about our salvation. <clears throat> I've got a, a good friend called Henry. He's a, he's a dairy farmer in the Waikato. And he's the most faithful uh, evangelist. For the last 20 or so years, he's been heading uh, nearly every single Friday into Hamilton, downtown Hamilton. And he, he's got a spot on, in Garden Place, just on the main road, literally opposite the casino. And he sets up his flip chart and he hands out tracks, gospel tracks, and he engages people in, in gospel conversations about Jesus. Earlier this year, I got a text from him to say that he <clears throat> had a really serious medical issue, and he had to have a, a specialist appointment at the Hamilton Hospital on a Friday afternoon. And there he was told that he had uh, 
a really rare and aggressive form of cancer. He, he went from the hospital down to a spot in Garden Place and he, he evangelized and told people about Jesus. To me, that's a, that is such a great testimony of keeping your eyes on Jesus. God asks us questions. He says, he tests us and he wants to know where our faith lies. He asked my friend Henry, he said, if I take away your health, will you keep your eyes on me? The big idea of this sermon is to, to persevere in your Christian faith because you are not alone and because discipline shows us that God loves us. Now, I know that there are some of us here who you have left the faith in the past. Maybe you've spent many years in the wilderness and yet, look, look, you're here now. Maybe you let go of God, but he doesn't let go of us. In, in Hebrews 13 verse 5, he, he comforts us with this fact. He says, I will never leave you nor abandon you. And do the warnings of this passage concern you? Do they make you worry a little bit? Do you think sometimes, will I stand up and keep going in times of trial and persecution or will I give up? I think the very fact that you do worry about that shows the evidence that you have true love in Jesus and that his spirit is working in you. And I, think, I, I really think that you will be amazed in those times of trials about how the Holy Spirit will work in your heart when the time comes. One day I think you'll look back and you'll, you'll be amazed at how you'll see how much he helped you and he encouraged you and he was working through you. You know, this is a warning passage, but I'm not worried. I'm not worried because I know that you who are Christians will not reject him in times of trial and persecution. And I know this because in the last verse of chapter 10, he says, But we are not of those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So we need to be ready. That's our last point, verse um, Number three, we need to be ready. So the passage ends with this last exhortation in verses 12 and 13. He says, Therefore strengthen your tired hands and weaken these, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Well, there are a lot of Old Testament allusions in these two verses that would have rung a lot of bells for the Hebrews, uh, I had a meeting with Rowan earlier this week, and we cut out a whole heap of stuff. There were so many, uh, so many verses here that we could talk about, but I, I've just picked two. Uh, one is from Ezekiel 21, verse 7. It's a judgment passage for the people of Israel. And God says, when they ask you, why, <clears throat> pardon me, why are you groaning? They then say, because of the news that is coming. So this is judgment. Every heart will melt. Every hand will become weak, every spirit will be discouraged, and all knees will run with urine. Yes, it is coming and it will happen. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So, I, you know, when I first saw this verse, I was a little bit tempted to laugh. Um, <clears throat> was he saying that the Hebrews were some kind of scaredy pants? Um, but then on the other hand, I realized, you know, they are, what they're facing was real. 
The persecution was real persecution. They had real reason for fear. But now, now is the time that God's judgment has passed. We've, we've got reason to run with joy now. Uh, there's another reference that you probably recognized here when you saw that passage. It's from Isaiah 40. It's the great comfort passage that John the Baptist quotes about the coming of Jesus. It says in Isaiah 40, A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled and the uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Hebrews knew that the Redeemer had come. God's suffering servant had come. Scripture is fulfilled now in Jesus, so they can't go back. They can't return. We know that the promised Savior has come. The lame have been healed. And the last thing we want as we get so close to the end is to roll an ankle or twist a knee. So we need to be ready. Why does God allow bad things to happen to his people? Well, we don't get the whole answer here, but we can certainly see a big part of the answer, can we? can't we? These bad things aren't punishment, but they're a sign of God's love to us. He's, he's training us. He's discipling us to live holier and more righteous lives. He's helping us to grow in, in righteousness because we are his children. We have an eternity to spend with him in heaven. So don't be surprised when God allows hard things to happen in your life. Shed off, cast off, lay aside whatever may hinder you in this race. Run the race with endurance and keep your eyes on Jesus. Trust him. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. Don't get weary and give up. Persevere in your Christian faith because you are not alone. And discipline is showing you God's love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the knowledge that you are with us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus has shown us the way. And we thank you for the suffering that he endured for our sake. Uh, we pray that... Uh, we pray for those of us here this morning who may be suffering different trials and temptations and suffering in different ways. We ask that you will be near to us and, and guide us and help us and encourage us as uh, we run this race towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.